0: Well, uh, like uh, Clay was saying, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to extend a, a very warm welcome to you. We appreciate you being here, and uh, we want you to just uh, feel at home. You know, and it's our, our desire that, that you really and truly, that all of us, when we come together, that, that we're coming together for a, a greater purpose than just attending a church service. But, you know, our heartbeat, in all reality, you know, apart from an encounter with God, our lives will never change. You know, we're not changed because we come to church and we're not changed because we hear a sermon or, or even take notes. But we're changed when we encounter Jesus. And we want Jesus to be lifted up and we want everybody to encounter him in a personal and powerful way. Because we believe that, that, that Jesus can change anybody. That Jesus can, can turn your life around. If you're here this morning, that's what you need done in your life. You're in the right place because Jesus is here. Amen? Uh, If you open up your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel, chapter number 16. We've been doing a a new sermon series called Soul Prints. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about, uh, in the first week, we talked about the uniqueness of the soul. How that there's nobody on earth that is quite like you. And we talked about how that each of us have a unique eye print. How that each of us have a unique voice print. We talked about how each of us have a unique fingerprint and how that each of us have a unique soul print and when we're talking about a soul print we're talking about dna you know everybody has their you know out of almost eight billion people on the planet nobody has those specific features as you do nobody has a voice like you nobody has eyes like you nobody has the same fingerprint so god in in all of his creative power he said, what can I do to create in this person that will set them apart from 8 billion people on the planet? And guess what? He came up with you. You know, you are a one-of-a-kind original. You're custom-made by God and for God. And, and what makes us unique is also what makes us powerful. So we have to learn how to embrace our uniqueness versus comparing ourselves to somebody else. You know, your strength may be somebody else's weakness and somebody else's weakness may be your strength. But but God has created diversity in the body for a purpose. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Listen, we all think that we're like the epicenter of of what's normal. I mean if you're married to somebody that's just like you, that's weird. You know, but but we think but the problem is when we think everybody is like us, we think that everybody should see things the way that we see them. So, you know, being able to uh, experience and accept our own uniqueness and not view that as competition, but view that as something that complements us can actually make us better than what we really are. And so then we talked about the development of the soul. We said that the soul or the self-image is developed in three stages. The first one is the uh, childhood stage. That over 50% of everything we learn, we learn in the childhood stage. And that the childhood stage is basically a learning experience. Now, that's important. And then we talked about the second stage. The second stage was the youth stage. In the youth stage, what happens is we become more self-conscious about our appearance and what other people actually think about us. We talked about that being the the phase, uh, the mirror phase. And the problem is when you get into the mirror phase, if you do not have a sense of identity or you're trying to discover your identity and you listen to the wrong voice and you listen to the wrong people, pretty soon you will be more focused on what is wrong with you than what is right with you. You know, God's not up in heaven trying to you know, make marks by your name to point out every single thing that you do wrong. You know, he's not looking to, uh, uh, to destroy us or to condemn us. He's looking to save us and to heal us. And so all of us are broken people. But, but it's in the youth stage that what we do is, is, is we begin to notice things about ourselves that we really don't like. And then we allow those things that we don't like to define who we are. But you're much more than what we see on the outside. You have a body, you possess a soul, and, and you have a spirit. And so that's important for us. And then we talked about the adult phase. Now, this is important because this is where the majority of us are this morning. At the adult phase, whether positively or negatively, what we do is we begin to try to live out the image that we have created of ourselves. And so, if, if you have a poor self image, and that's what we talked about last week, it, it, it affects the way that you view God. It affects the way that you represent God. It affects the way that you view yourself. And then it affects the way that you view others. So, having a healthy, positive self image, and you know, and I was a little bit nervous in talking about that last week because I don't want this, and I don't want you to think that this message is a self help message. You know, because it's not a self-help message. The gospel doesn't just set you free from what other people think about you. The gospel sets you free of the things that you think about yourself. You know, all things pass away and all things become new. So, you know, God doesn't make you, and Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you a bigger and better version of yourself. Jesus died on the cross so that he could live his life through you. And, you know, having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. Being filled with the Holy Spirit makes me better than me. Because what God has called me to do, I don't have in my own recipe the necessities to do what God's called me to do. So I need Him. And so He put His Spirit within us. And so today, what I'm going to talk about is how to overcome limitations. Because if we're ever going to become the person that God's called us to be, And if we're ever going to do what God has called us to do, then we're going to have to overcome the limitations that we have allowed others to place on ourselves. And we're going to have to overcome limitations that we have placed on ourselves as well. Sometimes, you know, we allow others to determine our value or we compare ourselves to others and don't feel as valuable as we really are. But we're going to have to overcome those things if we're going to walk in our destiny. So... I'm going to read out of Psalms chapter 139, a couple of verses, and then we're going to read out of 1 Samuel chapter number 16. In verse number 14, Psalms 139, verse 14, David writes, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Yet. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Now listen to this. In, all, in, in, in your book, all of the days of my life were written in there before yet one of them had come to pass. Now think about this. God has a book that is written about the story of your life. He said all of the days of your life were already written down. You know what that speaks of? That speaks of destiny. That speaks of purpose. That speaks of significance. And all of us are in the search of significance. And so David writes, he says, in in his book, in God's book, all the days of our life were written down before one of them ever came to pass. And and then the the psalmist went on to write, he said, the steps of the good man... They're ordered by the Lord. God has a purpose for your being here. There's no accidents. You know, you aren't a mistake. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. Before you were ever conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. And he has a purpose for you being here. Now, let's read 1 Samuel chapter number 16. Verse number 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel... How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now, verse 6. So it was when they came. Who were they? He's talking about Jesse's sons. He said, so it, so it was when it came to pass that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointing is before him. Verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass by before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and he is out keeping the sheep. And so Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with blue eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that during our few moments we have together this morning that you'd speak to our hearts, that you would recreate fashion, form, mold, and shape, reveal to us how you see us, who we are seeing through your eyes, not what we are, but what we can be. Lord, we we ask you that you would give us revelation in our heart, that the Holy Spirit would open up our eyes, that you would clearly speak to us where we are, challenge us and change us that we might walk in the destiny that you've written down in your book before one of our days came to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we're talking about overcoming limitations, I want to use the life of David to illustrate this. I want you to know that David was the one who wrote Psalms 139. He is the author of this particular psalm. It was David that wrote that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It was David that wrote all the days of our lives were written down in your book before even one of them had came to pass. And when we look at David, we we think of David and we see David as this great man. We see David as this giant killer. We see David as this worshiping warrior. We see David as the sweet psalmist of Israel. We see David as a man after God's own heart. So when we look at the accomplishments of David, we're so impressed, we're so amazed, and and, and truly God did some incredible things. But when we think about all that David has accomplished, my concern is I believe we fail to realize just what David had to overcome to get to where he was at. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart. Yes, David did slay Goliath. Yes, David was the sweet psalmist of Israel. All of those things are true, but that's just one side of the story for David. You know, there's always two sides to every story. And and so before all of those things were done, before all of those things had actually been accomplished in David's life, David was actually viewed by his family as the most unlikely to succeed in his family. David was viewed as the most insignificant. He was viewed as the most irrelevant and the most unqualified of all of Jesse's sons to become the next king of Israel. So this was David's story, but it wasn't just how people viewed him. David had made some terrible, tragic mistakes. It was David that had committed adultery with Bathsheba. It was David that had committed murder by, by killing Uriah. Bathsheba's husband. You know, it, it was David that had failed, yet but all of these things, when the limitations was placed upon him by his family, through his own personal f- failures, all of these things culminated in making David who he was, but David would have never been who he was had he not went through what he went through, and in spite of all of those things, David refused to allow the way the other people viewed him, and even his own personal failures, to decide and determine who he was as an individual, he had to overcome all of them. And so in 1 Samuel chapter number 16, we we see that the Lord says to Samuel, says, how long will you mourn over Saul? He said, arise, go, fill your horn with oil, and go and anoint one of Jesse's sons, for I have provided a king for myself, from among his sons. And so that this is where everything begins. But David had to come to the place where he realized who he was in God. You see David's greatest battle was not with the lion, his greatest battle was not with the bear, his greatest battle was not even Goliath. David's greatest battle was his ability to see himself through the eyes of God. Let me say that again. David's greatest battle was being able to see himself the way God sees him. And the same battle and the same challenge that David faced then, you and I are facing today. It is critically important that you are able to see yourself through the eyes of God. That you can identify with who God says that you are. Because if you do not have a sense of of identity you will by no means be able to fulfill your destiny because your destiny is directly connected to your identity. We know that Jesus' destiny was to go to the cross and to die for the sins of the world, right? But if you read the story in Matthew chapter 14, we all know, we're familiar with it. It's the temptations of Jesus. When Jesus was praying and fasting for 40 days, he was led into the desert by the Spirit. And then there was three particular temptations that were uh, presented to Jesus by Satan that would try to cause him to forfeit his destiny. And there were three different temptations, but the same question or the same core question was asked all three times. And that was, as Satan tempted Jesus, he said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, and then he said to him a second time, If you are the Son of God. And then he said the third time, If you are the Son of God. What was he trying to get Jesus to do? He was trying to get Jesus to question his identity. Because if Jesus questioned his identity, then he would automatically forfeit his destiny if you do not know who you are then the devil will confuse you into becoming somebody that God never intended for you to be therefore getting you out of the will of God and never being able to fulfill the destiny that was already written in the book according to Psalms 139 so it's critically important that you have a sense of identity and so what happened was this see Satan took Jesus up to this mountain And he says, listen, he showed him all of the nations of the earth and all their glory. He said, all of these I will give to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Now, Satan didn't offer Jesus anything that didn't belong to him already, right? But but what Satan was doing was he was offering Jesus everything that already belonged to him without having to go to the cross. That's the same temptation that you and I face. Listen, what's so important about the cross? Yes, that's where he died for our sins. That's where he shed his blood. That's where the penalty for the debt that we owe was paid so that we might be forgiven. But also what happens at the cross is that that's where we get a new identity. How do I know that? He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new... Old things pass away, then all things become New At the cross, you have a new identity. God doesn't take the old you and mix it together with the new you and say, let's have some fun. He said, all things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And then Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ that lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The cross is the place where we find identity. And so it's important that we embrace the cross so that God can reveal to you who you really are. Amen? The Bible says, As many as believed upon him, gave he the right to be called the sons of God, even those that believe upon his name. That word right means he has given you the privilege and the power, the status and the position as a child of God. And if you can learn how to walk in that, receive that, accept that, embrace that, and then walk that out, your life will radically change forever and forever. But if you allow the devil to tell you who you are, if you allow other people to tell you who you are, if you allow the lies you believe about yourself to tell you who you really are, then ultimately you're going to try to be somebody else other than God who created you to be. And again, if you don't have a sense of identity, you'll never be able to fulfill your destiny. That's why it's important for you to embrace and accept who you really are in God. Now, what I see in the story is that there's three main limitations that David had to overcome in order to fulfill his destiny. And the same limitations that David had to face are going to be similar to the ones that you and I have to face. Now, if you got your outlining, you can go ahead and go to the, to the first slide. The first uh, limitation that David had to overcome was he had to overcome his family's limitation. The Bible says here in 1 Samuel 16, verses 8 through 11, So Jesse called Abinadab and let him pass by Samuel. And Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chose this one. Then Jesse called Shammah. had him pass by. Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then he made all seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord's not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Listen to this. Then he said, Oh, yeah. I got one more. But he's out there taking care of the sheep. In other words, what he's saying is, Jesse, once he heard Samuel was going to anoint one of his sons to become next king, what Jesse did was this. Jesse said, I'm going to gather all of my sons that I believe possess the qualities that God is looking for in the next king of Israel. That was except for David. In other words, his father did not think he had what it took For God to use him to become the next king. Now could you imagine the kind of rejection that David was experiencing then? Could you imagine the kind of pain? What kind of wound that would create in in a young teenage boy's life? The people that were supposed to love him the most. Believe in him the most. Value him the most. Ultimately said when it comes to important things. When it comes to significance. David just doesn't really have what I think it takes to become somebody important. David wasn't just forgotten. David was uh, purposefully left out. And so Jesse says, you know what? I'm going to uh, call every one of my children, all of my sons, that I think possess these qualities. So this, this story, these verses tell us, that Jesse believed every son in his house had what it took except David. Now think about this. Nobody in Bethlehem saw David's potential. You know, he was just out there taking care of the sheep. Wasn't it an important job because he didn't think David had what it took. Nobody saw the, the David's potential. Now here's the point I want to make. Oftentimes, The people that are closest to us fail to see the potential that's on the inside of us. Now, all of us need people to believe in us. All of us need people to speak into our lives. All of us need people to encourage us. But the truth is, rarely do people have anybody that does those such things. Rarely do you see a father speaking to a son a verbal declaration of blessing. Rarely do you ever see a father or even a mother speak words of destiny over their children. Not, not, not out in the world. I'm talking about within the church. Now, I know this much. My whole entire life, until Rick Clinton and came into my life, who is a, a spiritual father to me, never in my life have I ever had a father Speak words of blessing over my life. See, fathers speak. That's important. God the Father spoke over his son Jesus in Matthew chapter number 3, verse 17. He said these words when Jesus was being baptized. He said, This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. In that one verse of scripture, Jesus received his identity. He said, This is my son. He received affirmation. He said, Whom I love. And then he received acceptance, and that is whom I'm well pleased. Now, can anybody tell me what Jesus had done up to that point to deserve those kinds of of, of, of words spoken over his life? He hadn't done anything. His ministry had not even started yet. Not one miracle was performed. He hadn't opened the blinded eyes. He hadn't raised the dead. There was nothing miraculous that he did other than honoring his mother and his father. His earthly mother and his earthly father. But his father spoke. Now, obviously, David's father, he loved him, but he had never spoken words of blessing over him. And it's revealed by when he left David out when it came to becoming the next king of Israel. So everybody saw, uh, or, or everybody in Bethlehem, of all of them, none of them saw David's potential. Potential may be least obvious to those that are the closest to us. He was just left out to take care of the sheep. Now listen to this. Not just David's father. Even the prophet was looking for somebody greater than David. Because he looked he said, here comes Eliab. Surely. (laughs) I mean, this guy... God's hand has got to be on him. And the Lord said, no. And then Shammah passed by and he said, well, I thought Eliab was awesome. Surely the Lord's hand is on Shammah's life. And the Lord said, no, not that. So he had all seven sons pass by. And, 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 And the prophet actually thought that, you know what? Surely out of all of these, God has had to choose one of those. And he never thought about David either. And so God had to correct the prophet's Uh, uh, The way that the prophet viewed David, and he said this to, to Samuel, he said, listen, the Lord doesn't see the way man sees. For man looks on the outside of the appearance, but God looks at the heart. Listen, greatness is not defined by image or appearance. Greatness is defined by character and integrity, that of which David had both giftings, talents, abilities are overrated. God will pass by those that, that have to prop up an image to appear to be somebody special, somebody that, that, that is important. He will pass by those who have to have an image to project for others to see to find the one who knows who they really are in God. That, that, that's important. So David's father didn't think that he had what it took. The prophet was obviously looking for somebody greater. And and, and so David had to overcome his his family's limitations. So his father tried to put limitations on him by saying, you know what, he doesn't have what it takes to have uh, to be next king. Now, Now look at this, go to the next one, next slide. David's brothers. Not only did his father put limitations on David, he had to overcome his brother's. Limitations. Now, here's how the story goes. You know, when Israel was at war with the Philistines, David's brothers became soldiers. And David was left to take care of the sheep. Finally, Jesse sends David to his brothers, but only to take them food. In other words, he is a bag boy. He's going to bring them lunch, just a a brown paper bag sandwich. It said 10 cheeses. Now, that got me, you know, I about spoke in tongues when I read that. Because I love cheese. Those of you that know me know I love, I medicine. listen. Whoever come up with cheese had to be anointed by God. I read that and I went, whew. It's a man after my own heart right there. But, uh, so he took him, to, he sent him for this purpose only. To take his brother's food and then to bring back news about how the battle's going. Now, while David was there, they were talking about this giant that was defying the God of Israel, the armies of Israel. And so when David sees this, he goes, does this guy think he is, you know? And and why isn't somebody wanting to defend God and his reputation? He he says to, to, to the men, he says, is there not a cause? And so he saw this as a defining moment. He didn't see this as a defining moment. He saw this as a God moment. And so David was able to recognize this. But when his brothers heard that David was interested in fighting Goliath, they become very angry. Look what it says here in 1 Samuel 17, 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking to the men, he burned with anger against him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. In other words, you're just full of yourself, David. You know what? You think that you are bigger and badder than everybody else. We know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You just come down to watch the battle. Now, David's brother only saw David as an errand boy. But in reality, David was a man on a mission. You see, his brothers viewed him as somebody unimportant and insignificant. No way would he qualify to fight this giant. He could never, never be a giant killer. As a matter of fact, the Bible says all of the armies of Israel fled and were in dismayed and were greatly afraid as, as the giant would come out and would confront them. Now, I want to make a statement here that I want you to write down. Because this is important. Again, we're talking about discovering destiny. Time is measured by minutes, but life is measured by moments. Time is measured by minutes, but life is measured by moments. Now, David was about to step into a defining moment in his life. Remember, he's the man that wrote all of the days of our lives were written down in your book before one of them come to pass. David was about to step into a moment that would change his life forever. In this moment, he was about to step in, he would never be the same again, and people would never see him the same again. But the point I want to make here is this. If David was never settled and who he was in God, if David allowed his father to put his limitations on him, if David would allowed what his brothers thought to put limitations on him, he would have never stepped into that moment, and he would actually have missed that moment, because you can't step into a moment of destiny when you don't have a sense of identity. Now, that's, that's awesome stuff right there. But God, just like David, has defining moments in your life. I believe this church is in a defining moment. This Daring Faith season is a defining moment for you, for me, and for our future. But yet I'm convinced the majority of us do not have a clue what time it is. We don't sense this moment. We don't recognize the window of opportunity God has given us that he wants us to step into. Therefore, we do nothing. This is how you know if you understand you're in defining moment. Defining moments require action. Listen, that's why we're having 24-hour prayer every month. That's why we're bringing uh, speakers in to speak into this vision. But the truth is, Some of you are not getting it. Some of you are. Some of you are not. But I want to tell you something. If you miss this moment, the destiny of God swings on small hinges. Big doors are opened by small hinges. And I believe that we've got an opportunity to step into a place of destiny that we've never walked in ever before. But do you sense it? If you don't sense it, then why don't you sense it? I don't know about you, but I didn't show up this morning to have church. Some people want to have church. Now, I'm here to fulfill the destiny that God has for my life. I'm here to equip you to fulfill the destiny that God has for your life. I'm here to equip the church to fulfill its destiny that God has. Why? Because our world demands it. The season we're in right now, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And if you don't embrace and step into this moment, things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. So stepping into that place, it's important right now in this season. David knew it. How do I know he knew it? All the days of my life. Every day of my life were written down in his book before one of them come to pass. And your life is not an accident. You ought to wake up every morning with a desire and a passion to fulfill the destiny God has for you. And if you don't have that sense of destiny, it may be because that you have fallen away from your relationship and connection with God to such a degree you have accepted lukewarm apathetic, indifferent, religious ritual and determined that coming to church on Sunday morning is enough. Except I've read the Bible and nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's okay to be a Sunday morning Christian. As a matter of fact, I don't even believe in Sunday morning Christians. If you can show me in the Bible where that's at, I'll stand before you and repent and apologize. But if I'm right, you need to ask yourself, am I a Sunday morning Christian? And if that doesn't concern you, I'm concerned for you. Why? Because every day, you don't have one day to waste. All of the days of your life were written in his book. I'm getting on a soapbox, i got to go. But I love what it says here. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I love what it says here in verses 13 and 14. And the Lord said to Samuel, arise, anoint him. For this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. I love this. In the midst of his brothers. The very people (laughs) that said he doesn't have what it takes. No way that can he make a difference. No way would God choose him, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Now look, and the Spirit of the Lord come upon David. From that day forward, he was never the same again. Now listen, the anointing of God is more than just a wonderful experience. The anointing of God is not designed for us to hoop and holler, dance, twist and twirl. Listen, I'm I'm all for, listen, if anything, we don't do that enough. But the thing is, sometimes we seek more for a God that we can feel than a Lord that we can follow. But if the feeling you get doesn't lead to action into your life, it's just flesh. So the anointing, listen, the anointing is more than a wonderful experience. The anointing is a call to divine purpose. Woo! It's a call. And you know what? And with it, and with it includes your destiny. Why did the Lord anoint David? Because God said this boy is going to be what? But he wasn't king then. His daddy saw him as his little boy. His brother saw David as his little brother, as the little brother. God saw him as king. So you have to overcome those things. Because the people that are closest to us most of the time are least obvious or are completely oblivious to the potential that's inside you. So that's the first. Here's the second thing. Second second thing he has to overcome is he has to overcome his leader's expectation. I'm going to read some scriptures here. Verses 8 through 11 says, Then he stood and cried out, this is talking about Goliath, "uh, cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out for battle to line up against me? Am I not a Philistine and you are servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now notice the response of the majority. This is a pretty good representation of the church. When Saul, the king... And all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. You know the reason why we don't want to step into our divine destiny? is because we're afraid of failure. We are, we are afraid of the unknown. We are afraid of the price we have to pay. We are afraid of the giants that we may face. You know what the biggest giant that you and I face? Right here. But you have to face those giants. All of them were afraid. Now, skip down to verse 26. Then David spoke to the man who, was, who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Now, notice the question. We'll come back to this in a moment. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verses 31 30, 33. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they were reported to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. And notice what Saul says to David. You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're too young. And this man is a man of war from his youth. Now, listen. Listen. Not only did David's father not think that he had what it took to become king, David's leader, who was so insecure and so afraid that he wouldn't dare fight Goliath himself, says to David, you can't do this. And the devil says the same thing to you. You feel God stirring in your heart? You you sense God's calling you to something that is bigger than you? You? You sense God is is pulling you into a place of total and absolute dependency. And the thing that comes through your mind is, I can't do this. And so, Saul, you can't do this. You you, you don't have what it takes. Listen, he saw Goliath. Saul saw Goliath as a champion, he saw David as a child. How did God see him? King. Goliath wasn't David's destiny. He was just an obstacle in the way to his destiny. Same's true for you. There are obstacles standing in your way that's keeping you from your destiny, and those giants that are here are keeping you crippled and paralyzed, just like Saul and the rest of the children of Israel. So, what did Saul try to do? Verse 38. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. That wasn't a declaration of faith. It was more like, the Lord better be with you. I don't think he is, but he better be. He said, go, and the Lord be with you. Then David said to Saul, or he goes on down, So Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head. And he clothed him with a coat of mail. Now, how did David respond? Verse 39. David fastened his sword to his armor, tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk in these, for I have not tested them. Listen. Here's something I want you to write down. You ready? We must not listen to the doubtful opinions of powerful people. Do not listen to the doubtful opinions of powerful people. Why? They don't know who you are. Just because they hold positions of power and influence, just because they appear to be powerful and they may have some sense of authority, but if people don't see you for who you are in God, they're always going to speak doubt in your life. What they say of Jesus coming from Nazareth—is there anything good come out of Nazareth? They say the same thing about you. Know, is there anything come out of anything good come out of Manchester? Is there anything anything good to come out of southeastern Kentucky? You know what? We allow people to to speak into our lives that doubt our God-given potential. You can't listen to everybody's opinions, not even those in powerful positions. The, the, The king saw he spoke words of doubt over David. You cannot do this. But David knew something that all of us have to know. You know what that is? You'll never step into your destiny until you are able to understand who you are in God. David, you know, what what did he do? How how did he respond? He took off the armor. In other words, he took off the limitation that his leader was trying to put on his life. There's been people that have spoke bad things over you. There's been people that have have spoke word curses over you. You may have even spoke those words over yourself. And God is saying to you, take those off. Take that limitation off. You'll never reach your destiny and never reach your potential until you learn how to be comfortable being yourself. Now, here's the last thing. He had to overcome his family's limitations, his father and his brother. He had to overcome his leader's expectations or limitations. And now he has to overcome his enemy's limitations. When David, when David come out to fight Goliath, he thought it was a joke. He thought David was a joke. He says, And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he looked upon him with disdain, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now listen. Many giants are often scary and intimidating. And God allows these giants into our lives to ultimately force us into a place of crisis. Now don't lose me because I'm wrapping this up. God will use giants to force you into a place of crisis. Why? Why? Because crisis doesn't make you who you are, but it does reveal it. Crisis doesn't make you who you are. Crisis reveals who you are. You do not even know what you are capable of doing until you've attempted to do something that you cannot do on your own and in your own strength. And that's what daring faith is all about. It's not just something for the church. It's something for you. Why? Because God wants to reveal to you what you are capable of doing when you partner with Him. He doesn't need your ability. He is all ability. He wants your availability. He doesn't need your wisdom. He's all wisdom. He doesn't need your, your, your speech or your ability to speak. He made your mouth. But he does expect you to step into that door of destiny, that, that moment, that defining moment. They can come to music. But even though that giants are scary and intimidating they bring us to a place of crisis and crisis doesn't make us who we are it reveals who we are now listen to this only those who are not afraid to fail in doing great things are actually able to achieve great things let me say that again Only those that dare to fail greatly can achieve greatly. And great rewards often require great risks. Now back to that question I was talking about earlier. When David saw Goliath, he said, Who is he? Who does he think? he is now before David can answer that question he has to answer two questions before that first question David has to answer is this who is Jehovah who is God if you don't know who God is see David saw Goliath as coming against God not him David saw Goliath as uncircumcised. In other words, he saw Goliath as somebody that didn't have covenant with God who was trying to come against God. And when Goliath tries to come up against God, listen, it's a no-brainer. Because God has no equals. He has never lost a battle. He has always been a winner. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He that is and was and is to come. And all things are possible to those that believe. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Who is God? He has to know that. Do you know? You can't know about God. You can't be familiar with God. You've got to know God or you will constantly live defeated before the giants that are standing in your way. And aren't you tired of being discouraged and depressed and want to give up and quit and allow your emotions to rule you and circumstances to keep you where you are? Don't you want to go after more? Don't you want to see what is possible? He's got to know who God is. David knew who God was. Second question uh, question that, that David has to answer is this. Who am I? It's one thing to know who God is. It's another thing to know who you are. You know what identity is? Identity is knowing who you are. And uh, you can't fight and defeat giants. If you don't know who God is and if you don't know who you are, those are two important. Only when David could say, "I know who God is and I know who I am," now who's that? You know who giant, you know who the giant Goliath was? Nobody. He was nobody. Who can stand against God? Who has equal power to God? this. And you know what? Listen, the Israelites knew everything about Goliath. Oh, he's nine feet, nine inches tall. They don't, he, he, he weighs this much. His spear weighs 15 pounds. His armor weighs 126 pounds, and so they knew who Goliath was, but they didn't know who God was, and they didn't know who they were. Therefore, they were greatly afraid. But David looked at it totally different. David knew who God was, he knew who he was in God, and he knew who the Philistine was. And you know what? David didn't see this as an obstacle, he saw it as an opportunity. He wasn't afraid that he was going to miss when he slung the stone. Why? Because the giant was too big to miss. Limitations can only limit you if you let them. Limitations can only limit you if you let them. And why do you want to look at the giant that's in front of you instead of the God who goes before you? Do you have that sense of identity? Do you understand that you have a God-given destiny? David's father, his brother, his leaders, and even his enemy thought that he had no potential. But David had the greatest potential of all. He had God-given potential. And you're somebody's David. Okay? Because the greatest lesson that we can learn from the story of David and Goliath... Now, how did all of Israel and even Saul react when the giant came out to defy the army and to taunt them? All of them were afraid. But when David stepped up, went down to the brook, picked up five smooth stones, put them into his shepherd's pouch, picked one out... Put it to a sling, began to twirl the sling, and let the sling go, let the stone go. When it sank into his forehead, the giant crumbled and fell to the ground. You know what the Bible says? All of Israel pursued the Philistines and overtook them. Now, why is that important? See, the only thing David was thinking about that day was defeating the giant that was in front of his life. What David didn't know was his personal victory would soon become his nation's victory. Because when you overcome the limitations that people put on you, you inspire others to overcome the limitations that have been placed upon them. Man, that's good right there. Somebody's looking at your life. You know what I do when I look around and I see the church? I think about what do my children see when they look at you? Because you're influencing them. That matters to me. Maybe you have your own children. What kind of example are you setting for them? It's important because, listen, when you overcome your limitations you will inspire others to overcome theirs that is critically important our lives are like the stone that David put out of his bag and placed it to the sling to throw at the giant and knock him out listen the stone itself had no sense of direction The stone itself had no idea where the enemy was at. The stone itself had no power to knock the giant out. It was completely dependent on the shepherd's arm. The secret to the stone, listen to me, the secret to the stone is being small enough to fit in the shepherd's sling And yielded enough to be used by the shepherd's arm. We have a good shepherd. We have the best shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. He causes me to walk in green pastures. He restores my soul. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I'm not afraid of my shadow, but I am afraid of being a shadow of my former self some people are afraid of the shadow death is just a shadow death is not the end death is the gateway to life the problem is everybody wants to go to heaven nobody wants to die to get there but death always precedes life if you're going to ever discover who you are you're going to have to learn how to die to yourself die to your own flesh, die to your own ambitions, die to your own fears because death is the gateway to life and that's the gospel. So let me ask you, are you too big for God to use you? Most people are. This is how you know if you think you're too big. You try to do everything in your own strength. And are you yielded enough God can use you to take out giants. Let's pray. Father, I sent your presence. Holy Spirit, you are here and surely you are speaking to our hearts. And I ask you, Lord, right now if there be anybody here that doesn't know you that Lord, that you would reveal the condition of their heart and the condition of their soul. Because God before we can ever do anything we have to know who you are you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm not talking about you know, information about Him, I'm not talking about whether you've heard the gospel before, have you ever had a personal encounter with Jesus and do you have assurance that if you were to die today, that you would spend eternity in heaven? Heaven and hell are real realities. They are the only eternal destiny that we have. He only offers two alternatives. That is heaven and that is hell. If you were to die today, you know where you'd go. You're lost this morning you would make things not with God. Give the opportunity just in a moment to come and pray. You're here today and you sense that God has called you. He's calling you to a, to a specific purpose that you've allowed fear. You've allowed limitations. You've allowed what other people thought about you. You're facing giants, and you're afraid to confront those giants in your life, and they cripple you, they paralyze you. Your life is just a vicious cycle of ups and downs, but yet you know deep inside God's calling you. If God's speaking to you this morning, they little going sing, and they little play. I'm going to knock you to the get out of your seat. And God responds quickly to those who respond quickly. And let God work in your heart.